Over the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Symphony, thinking about the various functions that exist as a result of the gifts that Christ has given to the church, these gifts that Paul the Apostle outlines in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4. And uh, we've been working our way backwards through the list. We thought about teachers, we thought about shepherds, we thought about evangelists, and the last two now are prophets and apostles. And I suppose if you want to think about it in, in plain terms, these, these could be potentially the controversial uh, ones because there is debate um, in the life of the church about the role of an apostle and a prophet today. Um, and so we can work on our way backwards to help you get your head around uh, the gifts that Christ gives to his church. And today we're thinking about the role of the prophet. And to help us do that, we're going to read from Jeremiah chapter 1, as, as we see God call this young man uh, to be his mouthpiece, to be his instrument, uh, and to be uh, used by God at a time when the nation of Israel was turning away uh, from him. So this is Jeremiah. We're going to read together from chapter 1. Verses 1 to 10. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth, in the territory of Benjamin, the word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. We end there giving thanks to God for his word to us today. In October 2011, Emily Sandy's voice was heard repeatedly on our radio stations and in presentations and uh, on news bulletins and in the background uh, as a backing track for many reports. As she sang, you've got the words to change a nation, but you're biting your tongue. You've spent a lifetime stuck in silence, afraid you'll say something wrong. If no one hears it, how are we going to learn your song? You've got a heart as loud as land, so why let your voice be tamed? Maybe we're a little different. There's no need to be ashamed. You've got the light to fight the shadows, so stop hiding it away. Come on, come on. It was a call to arms. It was a call to action. Preachers don't have ring walk music like boxers do, but it was the kind of music that I imagined that a preacher would walk on stage to. Uh, maybe we should introduce that here in Carmel. I don't know. Uh, John and I could pick our, our songs as we, we kind of got uh, come to the stage. I don't think it's going to catch on. But but for me, it was that kind of song. It was it was a call to countercultural living. 
Why, why would you keep your mouth closed when you've got the words to change a nation? When you've got the light to fight the shadows, stop hiding it away. And as I read the story of Jeremiah this week, I was thinking about this young guy being called of God to speak God's word, and he's saying, no thanks. I'm only young. I'm not capable. I'm not up to this. And you think, have I not read this story before? Is is this... Is this not like a Moses kind of situation where Moses is saying, uh, no God, I'm not really good at speaking. I don't want to go to Pharaoh. He's a reluctant leader. I always love that bit in Exodus 3 where Moses says, I I am not very eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. I'm like, that that sounds quite (laughs) eloquent to me. And God calls Moses to speak for him and he calls Jeremiah to speak for him. And they're both thinking, I'm not up to the task. And God says, that's exactly why you're going to speak to me because it's going to be my words that you speak. You're not clever enough to do this in and of yourself. You don't have the resources inside you to speak for me. I'm going to put my words on your mouth. And Jeremiah in the Old Testament is nervous about this. He's anxious about it. He's uncertain. He doesn't want to do it. The Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. Jeremiah, like Moses before him, is given words to say. God calls this young prophet to speak and says, I'm going to put the words in your mouth. He's got a difficult job to do, Jeremiah. He's got an unpleasant job to do. He has to go and tell the people of God that they're adulterous, that they're idolaters, that they've turned away from God. He pronounces judgment. He tells them what is coming. He he predicts and and says about the Babylonian exile, about their captivity. It's it's a hard message. He's, He's got unpleasant news to give to the people of God. He's been called the weeping prophet because in one chapter he talks about wanting to to cry a fountain of tears for the people of God because he, he was so distressed at the way that they were living that it upset him. He had God's heart for the people that he was leading and he was angered and distressed by the way God's people were going. He loved them but they were treacherous. They turned away from God and, and worshipped idols instead. And so Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. And when we see that as he's called, he doesn't want to do it. He drew attention to the wickedness in the lives of the people of God. And the, instead of trusting the one true God, they were after many things. They become superstitious in loads of ways. Jeremiah prophesied to power. He prophesied to people in significant Uh, places of of responsibility. You see, the the world that he lived in, the people of God had become enchanted with economic power. They'd become enchanted with political power and they thought that political power was ultimate or economic power was ultimate and they'd been captivated by all this stuff. They'd been dazzled by it. And, And Jeremiah had to go to them and say, the Lord, he is God. You need to trust him. 
And so this is the message that he has to bring. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. I can't imagine too many teenagers being excited about a mission trip that would involve doing this kind of thing. This is not, yes, sign me up. I'm going to go and pronounce judgment. I'm going to go and topple those who are in positions of responsibility. I'm going to undermine those who are in power. It's, it's a difficult message. And, and he actually, he, he comes under threat because he's not only speaking to God's people, but he's actually prophesying to the nations, to the surrounding nations, to the godless people around him as well. And, and his life comes under threat. Jeremiah eleven twenty one says, therefore, this is what the Lord says about the people of Anathoth who are threatening to kill you. Jeremiah's life is under threat as a result of his obedience to God. It's costly to speak for God, and Jeremiah experiences that and knows it. Jeremiah spoke God's word to God's people and the surrounding nations, even though it resulted in his life being in danger. He did not speak on his own authority, and therefore he had courage to pass on to other people what God had said to him. Don't shoot the messenger. But his life was under threat. And as we think about the prophetic gift in the life of the church, as we think of the gift of prophets to the church today, we've got to understand that there is no one like Jeremiah in the church today. There are no Old Testament prophets who can stand up at the front of church and say, thus saith the Lord, and then say something. We have Scripture and the canon is closed, that is, the final authority resides in Scripture. And so we have no prophets in the church today like Old Testament prophets. So does that mean there is no opportunity or possibility for us to speak for God or to encourage uh, prophecy in, in the life of the church? We're going to think about that in just a moment. But before we think about uh, the function of prophecy in the church, we're going to think about the uh, New Testament prophecy in particular. We're going to think about the function of um, prophecy outside of the church, in society. Ephesians 4 lists apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. But these roles or functions are not unique to the church. God did not just give apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to the church. They existed. These titles existed in the world that Paul was writing to. There were envoys or ambassadors who were sent by on royal authority to represent the king. And they were known as apostles or sent people, sent on behalf of another person to represent them. Prophets existed in ancient Near Eastern world as well. They brought judgment. They predicted the future. They made, um, made judgments around uh, certain issues and things. There were prophets that were in existence. There were evangelists or heralds who brought reports or news of what had happened in battle. They would come and carry a message to a battle, from a battle that happened far away, and they were, they were evangelists. They were good news tellers. They were reporters of events that had taken place, and of course, there were shepherds and, and teachers in society. And, and we believe that each of these rules are, are governed by God and given by God when he made the world. 
when he created men and women, he created them to be certain types of people. He's, he's the creator of all things, and he has woven these rules into the fabric of creation. And so maybe you've done a personality type test or something like that. And, and this is something that, as a result of being made in the image of God, each of us bears these things. We love to report good news. We love to instruct others or guide others. And, and some of us have stronger gifting than others in particular areas. But what has happened in society, what has happened in general, is that instead of being evangelists for the purposes of God, some evangelists started to exalt themselves. Instead of being sent people to, to represent the one who has created us and molded us and made us and give us purpose in our life, we've neglected him and, and become ambassadors for other things. We've become distracted We've neglected God, and instead of shepherding and caring for people, we've manipulated people for our own advantage. Instead of sacrificing ourselves in order to care for the sheep, shepherds manipulated the sheep, manipulated the people under their care in order to be advanced themselves. Instead of teaching people truth, teachers taught lies and led people astray. That's what's going on in society. Instead of representing the God who created us, all these gifts have gone off course. All these things have been skewed in a way. And yet the church is to be a new community, a redeemed community, an expression of what the world is supposed to be like. We are ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. And so we're to be that alternative community. We're to not, we've got the light to fight the shadows, so stop hiding it away. We're to live as God intended in the world. Paul says that the Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers were given to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In the original language, the words built up have sort of medical connotations to kind of restore like you get your health built up or your strength built up to be healed, to get your energy built up again after a time that it has been depleted. So you're thinking here about to strengthen the church, to mend the church, to make the church what the church ought to be, to mature, to grow, to develop. And Paul says that, Christ gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers so that the body of Christ may be strengthened, may be built up, may be what the church is supposed to be, may be what society is supposed to be, that there should be a newfound fullness in the body of Christ as a result of the gifts that Christ has given to the church. And so as Jesus engages with a broken world, we, get, we pray, don't we? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you want to know what is it like on earth as it is in heaven? What is heaven like? Well, let's look at how Jesus interacts with people. How does he draw alongside those who are marginalized? What does he do with the, those who are blind, those who are lame? How does Jesus treat the outsider and, and the foreigner? That, that's, this is heaven's perspective. This is heaven's engagement with the world that God created. And so we get to see the world restored through the ministry of Jesus. And, and Jesus speaks not on his own authority. He speaks words to people to reveal what God's heart and mind and assessment of them is. Jesus says, 
for I did not speak on my own authority, but the Father who commanded me, who sent me, commanded me to say all that I have spoken. John 12, 49. Peter tells the church in 2 Peter 1, 20, uh, that, that the prophets didn't speak on their own authority. Uh, prophecy didn't have its origin in human will, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the prophets of the Old Testament were carried along by the Holy Spirit and they spoke what God intended them to speak. We live in a world and in a society where there are evangelists for many things. I remember Jamie McMillan, our youth associate here, saying we're really good evangelists for our favorite TV program. <laughs> and I, I was thinking about this recently as I was standing on the touchline of my son's football game and there's a guy off work. One of the dads was off work for a, a long period of time and uh, he had to have surgery, and he was off work. All the other dads were saying to him, have you seen Ozark? Have you seen Suits? Have you seen this? I'm thinking, this is what's going to put your time in. They were evangelizing for their favorite TV program to get the guy's time put in. I'm thinking, my role as an evangelist for Jesus Christ is to say, have you, do you know Jesus? And I was embarrassed and ashamed. I didn't take the opportunity to do it, but I was thinking to myself, I've got something better than a TV program to put your time in here. And I was remembering what Jamie said, that, that we are evangelists for the wrong things. And as soon as a new, you know, ice cream comes out or a new chocolate bar comes out, we're really good at evangelizing for it. And so there are evangelists in society, but the evangelists in the church and the shepherds in the church and the teachers in the church and the prophets in the church who speak for Jesus should be encouraging people to know him. So what about today? What about the church today? And what is the role of prophecy in our church? Should we expect to be receiving pictures? Should we be expecting to receive words of knowledge and insight and impressions? And, and if we should, do they carry the same weight as Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and Peter or, or, or even Jesus himself? What do we do with the gift of a prophet to the church? The, the answer is, it's disputed. This is an area of disunity in the church or diversity, if you want to put it that way. Some people believe that to embrace prophecy today undermines the finality and sufficiency of Scripture. They hold that prophecy ceased when the Bible was closed, when the canon was closed, when we got our last book and when everyone agreed this is, the, this is the Bible, then no more prophecy today. That the need for prophecy ceased when we got the Bible and they would use verses like 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, which says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And I have real respect for people who hold this view. I understand their concerns. I love them. I'm willing to learn from them. I've been influenced by many people who hold this position and I appreciate them, even though I've come to a different conclusion on the subject. This is not uh, something that we should become proud or puffed up about if we have a different view. We can appreciate people who hold a different view, but I, I disagree with their conclusions and disagree with their understanding of Scripture. My own understanding of the Scriptures is that what the Scriptures teach is in the, in the New Covenant, God promised to pour out His Spirit on all people on men and women, on sons and daughters, and that we would prophesy. 
that we would have an ability to understand from God and hear from God to bring pictures and words and encouragement to the church, not at the same level or authority of Scripture, that we would have to test and approve what God says to us. But one of the gifts of, of living in the new covenant is that we would hear from God, that His Spirit would give us impressions and leadership and understanding and guidance that we could share with other people. Previously, when prophets spoke, so when Jeremiah spoke or Isaiah spoke, he could say, thus saith the Lord, and say it, and it would be unquestionably God's word. That is not the case today. That is not my understanding of how prophecy should function in, in the life of the church today. I believe that human uh, beings, Christians, can bring a word of prophecy and get it wrong, that there can be inaccuracies, that some of it uh, can be can be wrong, and it's our responsibility to test it. Sam Storms, who's an American pastor who I really appreciate, he loves God's word and, and is open to God's spirit. He says this, although God is the inspirational source of all prophetic revelation, its communication by individual prophets is not in all cases protected from error or human admixture. Thus, it must be judged or weighed to determine what is good and what is evil. Paul says the same in 1 Thessalonians 5. According to this view, the gift of prophecy is still potentially available to the church until the return of Christ and is no threat to the finality of the biblical canon. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul urges believers to pursue the gift of prophecy. He encourages the church to pursue it. It's a way to edify the church, to bring encouragement and comfort to Christians everywhere. I've been helped on, on a few occasions by people coming to me with one word or a picture that has brought encouragement to my life, that has encouraged me to keep going, to keep trusting Jesus. People have come and they've believed that they have something to say to me that God wants me to know. It's usually, as I think back on the words or pictures that people have shared with me, it's usually confirmed something that I already knew in my head, in my head, but was struggling to believe in my heart. And by sharing a word or a picture, it has encouraged me to believe what I already knew to be true. What I typically find is that when words or pictures are shared with me, it confirms my knowledge or my belief that God knows me, that God is aware of my circumstances and that he sees who I am. He encourages me that he will be sufficient for my life in the present and in the future. When I have anxiety or fear about what the future holds, um, God has at times sent other people to instruct or encourage me with a word or a picture. But here's what I need to guard against, and here's what I think we all need to guard against. I need to guard my heart from being more excited, more energized to obey, placing more emphasis on a word from a human being that potentially might be an utterance of God, placing more emphasis on that than I do on being excited and energized and motivated to obey as a result of what I'm reading daily in the Scriptures. Because I can be really excited about, oh my goodness, God had a prophetic word for me, and it, it, it might not be. Whereas when I read God's word, I 100% every single time know it is God's word. It is reliable, it is dependable, and I need to build my life upon it. And it will come true 
Whereas the prophetic word that comes through a human being is coming through a, a sinful human being who may have got it wrong and could be in error. And so I need not get too excited about a prophetic word over against the word of God, which is my ultimate authority, which is my primary motivation for obedience. And as I think about that, I want to encourage you to think about that too. Christians are not to gullibly embrace every single word that people say, this is God's word to you. Rather, Sam Storm says, the church must test the spirits to see whether they come from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so with those kind of concerns or cautions in mind, I want to say, we should be open. We should be open to God's Spirit doing what God's Word promised God's Spirit would do, namely give gifts to the church and equip us to encourage one another, to seek the prophetic gifting in the life of the church so that we may accurately represent God in the world. I find it hard to believe that the promise of God's Spirit being given to all people means that it was, he was only given for a short period of time and, and the prophetic ministry ceased after a generation. I find that really hard to believe. When Joel the prophet says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I find it hard to believe that it's just a handful of people would experience that in a foundational period in the life of the church. That's some people's position, and, and I understand and appreciate why they want to hold to that, but I just can't see that that is the most obvious way to read Scripture and understand that prophecy ceased with the, with the closing of, of the canon. If the church is to become mature, then we are to seek to embrace all that God gives us. We are to be strengthened by God. We are to be mended by Him. We are to be restored and renewed by Him. We need to embrace the fact that God in Christ has given some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds, some to be teachers. And if God is calling you and equipping you in that area, then what would you do next? What would be a next logical step in order to be the person that God intends you to be? Here's something that I would humbly suggest that might be a help to you as we finish our time this morning. Take time in his presence. Get to know God's word. Open the Bible in the quietness of your home and spend time with him. Ask God to give you his mind as you read scripture. Become familiar with the kinds of things that God says. Maybe name some people or get a little notebook and write their names down and ask God to give you a burden for them that you could encourage them or communicate God's heart and mind to them. Ask God to open your eyes to see the world as he sees it, to see your own life as he sees it. Pray that you would always represent God with your words. You know, I was with a friend this week who's, who's not a Christian. He began to speak to me about another Christian who, had, who repeatedly tells him lies. Just silly things about the cost of the stuff that he buys. And he, my friend said to me, Do you know, does he not know I have Amazon? I can actually check how much this stuff costs. He was sort of he joking about it. He's like, why would he do that? And I'm like, I don't know. But if we're going to be taken seriously as the people of God then we need to tell truth with our mouths. We need to be reliable and dependable and not just when we put on a holy face and say a prophetic word. 
In all our communication with people, we need to be representing God. Get alone with God and ask him that you can represent him with your mouth at all times. Pray that your presence in the life of this church would strengthen this church rather than weaken it. That you you would be able to, to bring healing to those who hurt and bring encouragement to the church that you're a part of. I was sorting through some alpha manuals this week in the office in preparation for what we're doing and and ballied off. And one of the manuals in the box had, had someone's writing in it. I don't know who, who it was that wrote it. But there was little notes from the, from the different weeks that had gone on. And uh, I'm nosy, so I started to re- read the notes in the book. And it was on the week on How Can I Have Faith, and which is session four, which is the week that we're doing uh, this week, or the, the topic this week, How Can I Have Faith. And the person had written one line, and I thought it was brilliant. People claim to hear from God, but it amazes me how very similar this sounds to their own opinion. <laughs> Doesn't it? You can invoke, God says, I believe God's telling me. Like, Well, that, that sounds very like the kind of thing you would say. You're maybe just like getting God to endorse your view. When was the last time you allowed God to contradict you? When was the last time you allowed God to correct you? Will you give him his place and allow him to direct your thoughts and direct your life, shape your mind and transform how you see things? Just as we finish up this morning, uh, Dallas Willard says this, learning to hear God is much more about being comfortable in a continuing conversation and learning to constantly lean on the goodness and love of God than it is about turning God into an ATM for advice or treating the Bible as a crystal ball. God's not an ATM for advice. We need to be comfortable in his presence. We need to slow down and hear his voice as he speaks to us through his word. And we need to properly intercede for others who we care for, asking God to use us to encourage them through prophetic words, through pictures, through sharing scripture with them. But ask God to use you to strengthen this church, that your life would be used by him so that we all may mature. The purpose of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers is to bring a newfound wholeness to the body of Christ. I'm gonna pray for us just now and ask that God would do that in each of us. Um, So let's just take a moment to be still. Father, forgive us for the times when we have claimed to hear from you but just spoke in our own opinion. We pray, Lord God, that you would enable us to carve out time in the week ahead to open your word, maybe to read Ephesians 4 again or to read this section in Jeremiah and ask that you would touch our mouths to make them more like your mouth, that we would speak the truth at all times, that our hearts would break for those who are hurting in our world and in our church that we would represent you well in every environment that we find ourselves in, that we would be so aware of your mind and your word that we'd be able to test the words and pictures that come to us, that we wouldn't place more weight on a prophetic word than we would on the word of God. So we pray, Lord God, that this church would mature, that these people would grow, and that we would become the people that you've intended us to be. You intend us to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. That's who you've given to the church. May we know our place. 
May we fulfill the function that you've given to us. And may we lean into what it is you're doing in the coming days. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.